We are in our study of Genesis. We're in chapter 19, which means that we're not even halfway through. Aren't you happy about that? Uh, there's so much here. Uh, Paul, in many of his epistles, writes a commentary on what we read in Genesis. And here is the story as we continue from last week where Henry introduced us to Lot. And we've got a lot to say about Lot today. So beginning in chapter 19, verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. For I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went out early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when the Lord destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up to Zoar, or out of Zoar, and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in the cave with his two daughters. In December of 1905, Victor Daly lay in a Catholic hospital in Australia. He was an Australian. He was a famous poet. And there on his dying bed, he looked up in the eyes of a nurse and said, I want to thank you for all of your kindness to me. The nurse looked down and said, thank the grace of God. And Daly said, aren't you the grace of God? Ninety-seven years later, November 24th, 
2002, I was preaching in the sanctuary up the hill. There was a seven-year-old boy with his parents sitting near the front. In fact, I moved them just a couple of minutes ago. And on that morning, I told a story about something that happened in my life three weeks earlier. I was near Cleveland. It was late October. I went up to play golf with a couple of friends. One of them invited me to the lunch that he was having with his work associates. I said, I don't want to come to your work lunch. He said, the boss insists. And so I made my way up there in the rain. When I got there, the boss said, the reason I wanted to meet you was I wanted to see who was so foolish to play in the rain and the cold. It was about 42 degrees that day. And then he wanted to talk about golf, and I like to. And when the lunch was over, my friend said to me, listen, I've got to go back to the office. I didn't expect it, but you and Billy can go. You guys can go play. Just follow Billy home and and transfer your clubs and, and go play, and I'll catch up to you tomorrow. We'll play a whole lot. And I said, sure. When I got in the car and I started pulling out the parking lot, all of a sudden it hit me. I suddenly remember how Billy drove. No, I've never seen a bat out of hell, but I think if I ever do, it's going about as fast as Billy drives. We're 25 minutes from his house. I don't know where we are in Ohio. I don't like to drive in Ohio. It's way too flat and not dangerous enough. But I'm trying to keep up with his little blue Honda. And I go as fast as I can, and finally we get to the Lake Road right near Lake Erie. I know he lives on this road, but he's so far ahead of me, I only see a little blue streak. And I'm tearing down that road at 75 miles an hour and a 35. And all of a sudden, this... Ohio State Trooper passes on the other side, and I think, good, I don't think he saw me. He did see me. He slams on his brakes, he turns around, and he chases after me. And instantly, I think in my head, you know, I know Billy lives at a hedge. If I hurry up and go a little bit faster, turn in, maybe he'll lose him. I turn into Billy's driveway, slam on my brakes, and all of a sudden, here comes the cop right behind me. Billy gets out of his car, he goes back, and he says to the officer, don't I know you from somewhere? He said, no. Where's your license? Billy grabs his wallet and holds out his license. He said, not yours, his. So I hand the guy my license. He goes back to his car, and Billy's looking at me like, how stupid to drive so fast. The man comes back and says, why are you here? I said, we're going to play golf. He said, in this weather? He said, yeah. I said, we love golf. He said, what do you do? Now, there are times in my life when insurance seems like very stimulating work. <laughs> Sometimes accounting seems like God's gift to humanity. <laughs> and so I say to him, I'm a Presbyterian minister. And he looks at me and says, really? <laughs> and it's that point, the seven-year-old Jordan Castile bursts out laughing. Ah! He gives me my license back, and he 
turns to Billy and said, would you tell your Presbyterian minister friend that we don't drive like that in Ohio? And then he looks at me and says, golf? I said, yes, sir. He smiles and says, have a good round. Goes back, gets in his car, and drives away. And you file that under mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. So we load my clubs into Billy's car. His wife's out. We explain to her what's this all about. Yuck, yuck. Get in his car. We're taking off, going west down the same road. We're out about five minutes, and all of a sudden, Billy utters a few expletives, pulls over to the side, and he said, I can't believe it. Two different cops in one day. And I look and I see the guy walking toward our car. I said, not two different cops, the same guy. He looks in the window and says, not you guys again. You're going to play golf, right? And we said, yep, we are. Do you know how fast you were going? He tells us and Billy says, really? We're just sitting here talking. He said, listen to me. I'm going to go back in my car, and I'm going to go east, and you're going to go west, and I never want to see you two again. You read me? We said, yes, sir. And then he cocked his head and smiled and said, have a good round. Now, that's grace. First time was mercy. Didn't get what we deserved. The second time was grace. We got far more than we would ever deserve. And Jordan Castile at seven understood that. And that's exactly what we see Lot getting. Now grace is something we've seen plenty of times already in the study of Genesis. God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit you shall surely die, and yet he doesn't die. He's physically alive, and the Lord doesn't simply let him walk away without a promise. The fact that he didn't die was mercy. The fact that he gave him a promise was grace. We've seen it in the flood. We've seen it in the Valley of the Kings. We've seen it at the door of Abraham's tent. But it's not until you get to Sodom that you really see grace in its full measure. Remember the scene? The Bible says, with the coming of dawn, the angel urges Lot, saying, hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy this city. Now, as Henry mentioned last week, Lot is a flawed man. Any righteousness he has is because he's inherited it from the Lord. There is nothing in him to commend him to us or to God. And yet, remember, the Lord has redeemed him. He's redeemed him from the coalition of kings. He's redeemed him through the prayers of his uncle. He's redeemed him by extricating him from the city of Sodom. Now look what the Bible says. The angels take him and his wife and his daughters by the hand and they pull them out of the city. The angels give Lot an opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight. And yet, Lot is a perfect illustration of the carnal Christian. 
though he's been dragged out of the city, though he's been warned, though the best intentions of the Lord are right in front of him, though all of those things are true, he he chooses to follow his own lead. You know, the word dragged is an interesting word in the New Testament. In John chapter 6, verse 44, the Bible says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father drags him. In James chapter 2, verse 6, it says, is it not the rich who drag you into court? The truth is, if you know Jesus Christ and you trust him even a little bit, it's because the Lord has dragged you to that position. And Lot is the first guy in the Bible who the Lord says drags him. At first glance, it may seem harsh that God would drag him out of his house at daybreak. But when the judgment falls, what appears to be harsh is actually the height of grace. And that's just the beginning So let's dig in and see the rest. First of all, notice the warning. Look at verse 17. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not stop in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Now notice how direct this and detailed this warning is. He doesn't just give one instruction. He gives four instructions. And the number four in the Bible is always associated with God's creative ability. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. On the fourth day, He establishes times and seasons. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is about the Sabbath and about rest from creation. And yet here in the midst of God's judgment, He issues four warnings to Lot. Because he's not about to create, he's about to destroy. And as an act of grace, he issues those four warnings. And the first of them is not to look back. Now, why would Lot want to look back? Well, we've said this many times before. Every one of us has two basic needs. To love and be loved and have a sense of worth. And Lot has it too. In the first verse of chapter 19, we see that he's sitting in the city, in the city's gates. As Henry mentioned last week, that's where the elders sat. That's where the leaders of the people sat. He's a man of prominence. He has a sense of worth. That's where his identity comes from. There's every reason for him to look back. His love for Sodom and his place in it causes him to want to look back and to linger, and God knows that. So when he issues his command in four clear messages, escape for your life, don't look back, don't stop in the valley, escape to the hills, the Lord is addressing Lot's natural affections. Second, notice not only the warning, notice the witness. Look at verse 17 again. Escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley, escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Now, let me ask you something. What hills is he talking about? The psalmist has famously said, I will lift up my hills, my eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. 
Are those the hills he's talking about? Just generic hills? No, he's much more specific than that. He's referring to the hills around Hebron where Abram has dwelled with his household. It's in the hill country of Hebron that God intends for Lot to go. That's the place of divine fellowship. The angel says, go there. It's interesting, someone has said, in the sight of a Sodom, God always provides a place of refuge. And that's the meaning of Hebron, a city of refuge. It was the place where anyone could find shelter and deliverance, even criminals. You see, the Lord, when he says, through the angel, escape to the hills, it's the same thing he will say centuries later when he will say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Where was he lifted up? On a hill outside of Jerusalem, a hill that is named Calvary because the name means skull. I mean, think of this. Think of what this means. For every redeemed person, no matter where you and I wander, even if we make our bed in Sodom, there is no place that escapes his presence, and there is nowhere from which he cannot deliver us. The psalmist says it this way, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, even there your right hand shall hold me. And Lot proves it. Third, notice the willingness. Look at verse 8. Lot says to the angels, Oh no, my lords. Do you know what he's doing? He's saying, I don't like your plan. I want to change it. He doesn't say, thy will be done. He says, my will be done. This is after they've dragged him out of Sodom. This is after they've warned him in four different ways to flee to the hills. Even in the midst of that, Lot posits another solution. He calls them lords, but truthfully, he wants to be the lord of his own life. Someone has said God in his providence records the whimperings of Lot to show us who we really are inside ourselves. We will plead to have our way no matter what. He doesn't just refuse to go to Hebron. He impugns the character and the power of God. He says, in effect, I'm not safe where you tell me to go. I mean, think of how closely this approximates so many of our prayers. Oh, Lord, save me from this disaster, but don't expect me to go too far from it. I remember a time years ago when Red Skelton, if you don't know him, you should. <laughs> great comedian. He was flying from New York to L.A. And I don't know how large the plane was, but there were enough people in there that the rest of the story bears some degree of reasonableness. 
Somewhere over the Midwest, they hit an air pocket and the plane falls about a thousand feet. And it is buffeted and it is crazy. And in the midst of all of this gyration, Red Skelton somehow stands to his feet and he says, will you join me in prayer that God will deliver us? And then Red Skelton prays, oh God, please save us. Deliver us. Bring us to safety. And as soon as he finishes his last word, everything goes calm. No more turbulence. No more violence. He waits 30 seconds and smiles and says, Okay, now you can resume all your evil habits. The little boy kept falling out of bed. Finally, his mother said, why do you fall out of bed every night? The little boy says, Mama, I guess it's because I stay too close to where I got in. That's Lot. That's you. That's me. He wants to stay in the valley. And look what the Lord does. He honors his request. The angel of the Lord says, Behold... I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. In other words, I've taken you out of the city of Sodom to save you. I've warned you not to stay in the valley, but you're seeing this little town over here. You want to go to it. I'm about to destroy the cities of this valley. I will spare this town for you. Do you see what he's saying? I'll grant your request. I'll destroy all the other towns of the valley, but not this one. You say, what would motivate the Lord to agree to that? There's only one thing. God's glory expressed in grace. Fourth, notice finally the wisdom. Look at verse 29. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now notice there are two separate prayers here. As Henry mentioned last week, God is honoring Abraham's prayer in chapter 18 when he pleads for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But there's also another prayer God is answering. And that's the prayer Lot prays in chapter 19. How about this one, Lord? Can't I just stay here? You see, God's desire is to move Lot and his family all the way to Hebron. He wants them to reunite with Abraham and his household. He wants them to enjoy all the fullness of his presence. And yet God, in his grace, answers Lot's prayer to stay in the valley. You say, but God saved him. That's true. He saved him from the judgment of Sodom. That's true. You say, well, that's a lot. I say, yeah, it is a lot, but it's a lot less than what God intended to do. Instead of living in the hills of fellowship and blessing... Lot settles in Zoar, and the Bible tells us what that means. Zoar means small place. 
In other words, instead of living large in the presence of God, he's going to live in a place of fruitlessness and death and fear. And God allows him to live there. And the reason we know it's a place of death is because the Bible says he and his daughters will live in a cave. Caves were the place of the dead in antiquity. Instead of living in a place where his daughters could find husbands in the household of Abraham, he dwells in a place where there are no husband candidates. Instead of living in a place where the fruit of his body would bring glory and honor to God, he will live in a place where the fruit of his body will produce hatred and animosity toward God and God's people. One of my heroes, Donald Gray Barnhouse, said this, It's hard to imagine why any believer would want his own way until we read the Bible and we see that that's what our nature is like. There is nothing in us, in our flesh, that we won't do to get our own way. By God's grace, he's dragged us out of Sodom. By God's grace, he has averted destruction in our lives. By God's grace, he allows us to settle in Zoar. So let me ask you something. Was sparing Zoar an act of grace in the life of Lot? Or was it an act of judgment? Or to put it another way, if you had been stopped by a cop outside of Cleveland twice, would you have begged him for a ticket? You say, are you kidding me? That would be crazy. Even a seven-year-old knows that. So where are you living today? In the land of God's choosing for you? Or in the land of your own choosing? Think about that. Amen.